So we are in the life of David, and we're doing a series on, uh, on the life of David from 1 and 2 Samuel, and it feels to me each week as we, we study this that, that every week I'm getting this richness of a new aspect to the life of faith. And uh, we started with calling, and then we looked at courage, and then integrity, and then we added worship, and, and today we add, we add prayer. And it feels to me a bit like uh, the movie The Karate Kid, where if you've if, seen the movie The Karate Kid, it's like 20, 30 years old, but we've all seen it. Very good. And I'm, I'm at the age now where my kids are teenagers, so they can watch the movies that I watched when I was a kid. And so Karate Kid, uh, Jack watched a couple of weeks ago. Last night was BMX Bandits. <coughs> I'll be weaving that into a sermon sometime soon. Um, Nicole Kidman's... Uh, Perhaps greatest acting. Um, but we're adding, the, you know, just like the Karate Kid, wax on, wax off, paint the fence. He just added these different elements. And I feel like courage, uh, calling, integrity, worship, and prayer. It's like God is just filling out what it is to live a life of faith. So I want to preach on prayer. And um, in the morning service, I realized I got pretty much to the end and I hadn't mentioned prayer. And uh, I think that's okay because actually prayer is response. And if I'm going to capture really what I'm saying here, it's that prayer is response. So when we talk about prayer, I'm not going to focus on here's how you pray and technique and, and what you should say and all of that. And, and, and there's, there's a place for that. But actually, I want to talk about why we pray, about the fact prayer is a response to what God has done for us. So we're in 2 Samuel, 2, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. I'm actually going to read the first part and uh, change it up. Uh, and read the first part of this. It's quite a long, it's a long chapter. We've got to capture all of it to get the whole story. So I'll read the first part, share a bit about that, and then I'll actually read David's prayer and speak about that. Uh, and the context for this, for those who haven't been part of this series, is that in the last message, which was two weeks ago, and last week was Mother's Day and Zoe preached. I was so thankful, uh, let me just say, for what Zoe shared around uh, women and to, to get that perspective, because I'm conscious... Most of our preaching is done by, by me and Nick, and to hear a woman speaking about the heart of God from that perspective was so valuable, and, we, and I'm just thankful to be able to give that opportunity um, uh, to her and to, to hear that, that voice. Uh, but two weeks before ago, it was about David bringing the Ark of the Covenant, this wooden box which symbolized and represented God's presence, being brought into Jerusalem from the fringe of the community and their nation into the very heart of their nation. And the ark is brought into Jerusalem and placed sort of in the center of the capital of the, of the, of the city and the, the center of God's people. And then this flows directly from it. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And... Uh, what he's intending is to build a temple. He's saying, I'm, I've got a permanent home. The ark's been traveling around in the tabernacle, which was this tent. And, but now we're all settled and I've got this palace. And yet the ark's sitting in the tent. And so it's time to build a temple, which I think we could all say is a very godly and good plan. He's, he's, he's speaking not out of any selfish motive or, or self-aggrandizement. This is about giving glory to God and building a, a house, a temple for God to dwell in. And Nathan's reply, uh, Nathan is the prophet, Nathan's reply to the king is, 
whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Nathan's reply is, yes and amen, go for it. Go and build the the temple. But then it says, that night, having spoken to the king, God speaks to Nathan and brings him a very different message. This is what God says, that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a a house to dwell in? I've not dwelled in a house from the day I bought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you to rule over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone. I have cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of all the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done since that time. I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Who's going to be doing the house building? God. The Lord himself will build a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He says, David, your son I'm going to raise up and I'm going to place him on the throne and it's going to be his task to build a house for my name. Now that that son is Solomon and Solomon is historically the one who goes on to build this temple. Uh, and I, but it, it God goes on to say through Nathan, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. How long is this, how long is this kingdom going to reign? Forever. That's a pretty good reign. That's a pretty good reign. You know, you go through the, the Old Testament and say, this king reigned for 39 years. This king reigned for this many years. But there's a king who's coming God says, who's going to reign on the throne forever. This is, of course, talking about Jesus right here. It says, I will be his father, he will be my son. Whenever he does wrong, speaking about Solomon, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. And your throne will be established forever. Can you imagine David hearing those promises of God? Let me draw out a few leadership lessons, I guess. Something for us, uh, though any of you who is a leader in this place, uh, but uh, I'm not just talking about an elder or, or a board member. Many of us are leaders. In perhaps in some ways, all of us are leaders. Some of us are leaders in the church. Some of us are leaders in a workplace. Some of us are leaders in our family. Some of us are leaders in a marriage, our marriages, and in so many different ways we can be leaders. But there's a couple of things I want to draw out here. The first is I think we should value discernment over decisiveness. 
because uh, it's, uh, it's in the nature of many people, possibly myself included, the desire to be decisive. When you're a leader, it looks good if you're decisive. We're going to do this, let's go. But sometimes the greater thing is actually to dwell in a situation where you are deeply discerning. Because sometimes you actually, you actually say, and I've done this before, yep, let's go, we've made a decision, we're going to go in this direction. But then you keep dwelling on it. You keep mulling it over. And you think, you know what, I actually think God wants us to do something different. And I've already gone to a meeting and approved for us to go in one direction. Am I going to go back to that meeting and say, you know what, I actually think we're doing the wrong thing, we need to go in a different way. What does that look like? What a weak leader. Indecisive. But let me tell you, it's better to be discerning than decisive. It's better to be deeply dwelling in leadership. Sometimes it's too easy for us in a church meeting to pray a two-minute prayer at the start. Dear God, be with us in our meeting. For the next two hours, we're going to be making decisions. That's the first thing. Second thing I want to say out of this is that um, sometimes um, we have a heart to do uh, something for God and actually it's God who wants to do something for us. Sometimes we have a good plan, but we don't actually have a God plan. David's plan is a good plan. He wants to build a temple to house the ark and the presence of God and place it at the center of God's people. That's a good plan. But actually it turns out it's not God's plan. God's got a different person in mind. God's got a different timing in mind. And uh, he's got a whole other bigger and better plan. Very often in life, we like to say to God, whether it's in a big leadership decision or just something in our own life, hey God, we want to go in this direction and do this thing. And we figured out the timing and we figured out the situation. We figured out who's going to do this. So appreciate your blessing on the plans that we've made. Uh, It's interesting, as a church, about two years ago, we stood on a piece of land, and I distinctly remember this, and we said, we think this could be the the site for our Verdun congregation to build land, buy land, build 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 a church, and this could be it. And we thought, wow, there was a lot about it that looked amazing, apart from the fact the zoning was primary production. And, and, uh, and I was kind of moderately excited. Dave Shep, if you know Dave, Dave was very excited. <clears throat> Dave was like, we can, yep, this is it. I'm like, oh, it is zone primary production. He's like, doesn't matter. We can put some beehives on this place. <clears throat> it's got a couple of fruit trees. We'll leave them and pick the fruit and say, hey, we're doing primary production. We just also put a 600-seat auditorium in the corner. Um, and turned out it wasn't the place. And then another opportunity arrived, a partnership with Mount Barker, and we stood on that land and prayed over that land and felt like this is, this is perfect, this, is, this seems right, this seems good, let's explore this. And God then didn't uh, seem to close that door on us too. And then we stood on another piece of land and prayed, and then we stood on another piece of land and we called the elders and we prayed over that piece of land. I can picture us up there right now. And then we stood on another piece of land And this time we really thought it was the one. And guess what? We don't have any land (laughs) right now, apart from we've got this land. But um, in all of those times, we would probably like to have said, hey God, here, now, us. God was saying, not now, not here, and uh, this is not not my plan. And so we're drawn into ongoing discernment and trust 
knowing that God is still with us in that. And, um, and so that's part of the deal. But actually what God does here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is, is this is actually one of the big chapters of the Old Testament because this is one of the great covenants that God makes with his people. You see, God made a covenant with Noah and, uh, and he said, you know, I'll never destroy the earth again. And that was the, Noah, uh, the covenant with Noah. He made the Abrahamic covenant with Abraham um, where he said, hey, I'm going to take you. I'm going to give you a, an heir and I'm going to turn you into a great nation. You know, that, that image of all, have a look at the s- stars in the sky and I'm, greater than these will your offspring be. And, uh, and then he makes a covenant with Moses with the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law, and that's the Mosaic Covenant in uh, theological terms. We just give it a fancy title. And then this one is the Davidic Covenant because he made it with David. And now what's the, what is a covenant? It's very important to understand this term. Uh, and basically it's best to understand a covenant when compared to a contract. Most of us, sometime or another, have made a contract. We do it when we buy a phone. We do it when we buy a house. A house is a good example because a house is a big contract. We make an agreement and we say, we will give you a lot of money, mostly the bank's money, and we'll give that to you if you give us the keys to this house here. And we make an agreement. We make a contract. And we make sure that contract is signed properly, is executed properly, is stored properly, because that contract says, if you do this and you fulfill your promises, then we will fulfill our promises and we agree to that and we have a contract. That's what a contract is. But a covenant's totally different. A covenant is when God says, I am going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I make this promise and I make this promise and I make this promise. And you need to do nothing. Because this covenant agreement is not dependent upon your faithfulness It's not dependent upon your goodness and it's not dependent upon your power. It's dependent on my faithfulness, God says, my goodness and my power. And I want to remind you this morning that our God is a covenant God and that the salvation we have through the blood of Jesus is a covenant that God has made with us. When Jesus took the cup At the Last Supper on the night that he was betrayed, he said, this cup is not a new contract. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This is a covenant. I am making you a promise that by the blood of Jesus, through faith in him and faith alone, not by any works, but just by believing that this cup and this sacrifice on the cross is sufficient, through that sacrifice and trust in it, you will be saved. And there is no other side to this agreement. I am making this promise to you. In fact, every single promise that God makes us through Scripture is a covenant promise. And here he says to David, I will provide a place for my people and I will raise up your son and I will establish his throne forever. And I am going to do it, David. And your side of the bargain is nothing. Because I am making this promise. The promises and covenants that God makes are based on the surety of his goodness and his greatness and his faithfulness. He says, I took you and I've been with you and I've given you victory. Now I will make your name great 
The Lord himself will do it. It is so good to be reminded that it is God who does things, not us. That it is God who accomplishes his plans, not me. That it is God's power through which things are accomplished, not our efforts. It's freeing. It releases us and it puts us in the right place. God has made a great covenant with us in the blood of Jesus. And here's the problem with the covenant that has been made through the blood of Jesus. There's no problem with the covenant. The problem is this. If I asked you, do you believe that we're saved by grace or saved by works? Everyone ticks the right box. It says by grace. But the problem is when I actually sit down with people, I discover so many people find it very hard to accept that God has made a covenant, not a contract with them. People say, yeah, I know it's grace but not works, but for me, I'm not sure that I'm accepted by God. I'm not sure that I'm loved by God. Because of this, because of that, because I've done this, because I struggle with this, and they struggle to accept that what they believe is true generally is true for them personally. And I want to pray, if that's you, this morning, that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you, even this morning, afresh, the truth of the gospel, the good news, the great news, the greatest news ever, that we have been saved by the grace of God, unmerited favour, unconditional love, the greatest gift we could ever receive, has been given to us. Amen? Amen. So where does that leave us in relation to prayer? As you'll notice, I haven't mentioned prayer yet. Let me read you David's response to these great covenant promises that God makes to him. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. I actually love that. He went in to the tabernacle and he sat before the Lord, just went into God's presence. And he said this, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. <clears throat> and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you. <coughs> How great you are. Oh, go on there. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, God, keep forever the promises you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will establish, be established in your sight. Lord Almighty God of Israel, you have received this, revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. 
So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Let me very quickly bring out four words that I think should think should be kind of like what our lives should should like what should flow from our lives if we live as God's covenant people. Like if we know and dwell and sit there in the grace of God, then this is what our life should be filled with, and this is what therefore our communication and communion with God, our prayer life should be filled with. Should be filled with at least four things. The first I want to talk about is gratitude. David says, Who am I? Who am I that that and who is my family that you have brought me this far? Like, who am I that you are so good to me? So the first word is gratitude. You know, um, our society is actually becoming aware and increasingly conscious of the power of gratitude. Do you know this? Like secular studies are being done that are proving kind of through peer, through, through sort of academically quantifiable, measurable means that gratitude profoundly impacts well-being, mental health, and, and basically, just, um, basically just those two things. And, um, <laughs> and, and, so, and so people are getting tuned in to the importance of gratitude. Because gratitude, this whole, this whole thing is not a new concept. Gratitude's been around for a very long time. Psalm 107, Psalm 118, Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. I think it's great that people are getting into gratitude. The only sadness to me is this. They don't know who to say thank you to. We have a great, great God who is the giver of all good things. Who am I, Sovereign Lord? Who am I? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? I think so many of us could, could resonate with that as we think about our lives, and we think about what, how God has blessed us in, in family, in, in various different ways, to, to the things that we possess, but most of all to, to the knowledge of God in our lives and the grace of God. Who are we that God would do this for us? May your prayer life be filled with with gratitude. Second thing, the word I've used is, is intimacy. Uh, David says, what more could David say to you? For you know your servant. For you know me. You know, what more can I say to you? You know me. And you know that the greatest desire actually of the human heart, many people say, is to know and be known. To, to actually have intimacy, to have relationship and a depth of relationship that is, that is, that is intimate. And, and of course, the closest human relationship that we can, we can find where that we get close to that, even in an imperfect way, is a marriage, where we can have that intimacy, uh, you know, physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually with one person. But the intimacy that every person and the greatest intimacy we can, we can know is the intimacy we have with God. To know that he knows us completely with all our flaws, 
all our failures, all our limitations, and yet loves us unconditionally. Get your head around that. And, and, and the great joy we have is that what we, now, what we now know of God is only really just kind of like a, a glimpse of the fullness of what we'll know when we actually come face to face with him in the life that comes following this life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, For now we only see as a reflection, as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I think, I think of the words of the, the prophet Jeremiah who said, before uh, God says to him, before I created you, before I knitted you together in your mother's womb, I knew you. You are known before you were even created and you are loved. Intimacy. There should be an intimacy in our prayer life because of this fact. The third thing there should be is praise. Um, Verse 22, we have have a look at that. Um, Verse 22, how great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you. If we capture this, then our prayer life really, even through difficult circumstances, is going to actually contain praise and, and, and be, be focused on God and praising of God. David here prays a prayer that is immersed in the declaration of God and his greatness. In verse 18, he says, Sovereign Lord. In verse 19, he backs it up by saying, Sovereign Lord. In verse 20, he goes on to say, Sovereign Lord. In verse 22, Uh, wait for it, he says, Sovereign Lord. In verse 24, he just changes it up and says, Lord. Verse 25, next verse, he he says, Lord. He goes again, verse 26, with a different one, Lord Almighty. Verse 27, Lord Almighty. And verse 28, he gets back to Sovereign Lord. And verse 29, he finishes off with a, a solid Sovereign Lord. It's a prayer that is focused on God and declaring the praises of God, even in those titles. Man, I could, I could unpack a one-hour sermon on those three, on the titles that he uses. I won't do that now. The last word is, uh, I, I wasn't sure what to use here. I've used the word alignment. Alignment. Verse 28, <coughs> David says this. He says, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant. But David's asking here, it's a prayer of asking and God has called us to ask. Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. Um, But what David here is doing is he's actually praying that God would do the very things that he's just promised he would do. So he's heard that God said, I'm going to do this. And now he says, God, now that you've declared that you're going to do these things, would you do them? So it's a prayer of alignment, a prayer of actually knowing God's will and then praying out of the will of God. Gratitude, intimacy, praise and alignment. The last one, alignment, is is your kingdom come, your will be done. It's Jesus in the garden, even as he's about to be betrayed, saying, but not my will, but yours. Gratitude, intimacy, praise and alignment the band can come up i want to share just to to round this off i preached this sermon last sunday night and i didn't really have an ending and so i got on uh online about two hours before and um 
I got into my sermon and I thought, I need to finish off an ending and find a way to wrap this up. And um, <coughs> I sort of got distracted and looked at Facebook. <laughs> Confession. Um, and I, I, don't know, I don't actually go on Facebook that often, but I went on there and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not sure how to finish this. And by the, by the grace of God, God gave me an, a finish to my sermon on a Facebook post that I read. You know, that's it. God just can work through Facebook t- too. So... Um, Someone had posted, someone from YWAM Adelaide, so I'll give them the credit, I'm not sure who it was, posted a thing around what is prayer. So I thought, let's finish with that. What is prayer? A petition? Yes, but it's more than just asking. A proclamation or declaration? Yes, but it's more than just speaking. A decree? Yes, but it's way more than just naming and claiming it. A conversation? Yes, but it's way more than just talking. Prayer is the ability to communicate with the one who created us. It is, is it the only way to do that? Absolutely not, but it's one of the most common ways in which we engage with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Prayer is tears and it's laughter. It's breakthrough and it's pressing on. It's joy and it's crying. It's standing on your feet It's laying on your face. It's screaming out loud. It's waiting in the stillness. It's making every need known. It's listening and not saying a word. It's trusting truth over feelings. At times it's having doubts and at times it's knowing for sure. It's Jesus at the centre of it all and it's a loving relationship where he hears you, where he speaks, where you can be who you are Because you have been recreated in him and you are one with him in spirit. He is not far away. He is with you. He is in you. He loves you. So talk to him today. Amen. Man, I've got to get all my sermon conclusions off Facebook. (laughs) I like that. Let's pray and let's stand on our feet and we'll pray together as as we finish in worship. Father, thank you. You are a covenantal God, not a contractual God. Thank you for the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Thank you for the grace on which I stand. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here this morning who deep down in the the deepest place, probably in the secret place, struggles to receive that struggles to fully accept that struggles to live in that struggles to allow that to set them free so Lord I'm praying for breakthrough this morning I'm praying for release this morning I'm praying for freedom this morning in the power of the Holy Spirit for anyone who needs that touch on their life. And may we, all of us, live out this life of prayer that reflects that we know the promises of God are sure and certain, based entirely on the faithfulness of God, not on us.
Thank you, God, that we can come to you, the great, almighty, all-powerful creator of all things and know you intimately. Remind us in the busyness of our lives to come to you in that way, daily and hourly. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.